Welcome, everybody, to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for this third season. And reminding everyone that El Cafecito is sponsored by the Latin American Studies Program at the University of Toronto. And now I can go for my introduction. No. Buenas tardes, chicos. Aquí quien habla es Guillermo Paturí. Y fuera con los golpistas. Hola, hello, Cubo. My name is Raquel Serrano. And el derecho de vivir en paz is more than just a song. Okay, so we're here to talk about the plebiscite that happened on the 25th of October 2020 here in Chile, Latin in Chile, and it approved a new constitution. It was the victory of the Apruebo movement with a 78.3% approval, and it brought 25,000 people to the Plaza de Italia in Santiago, and it was quite impressive for the numbers uh, given COVID, right? And I... And it was quite impressive because uh, Piñera, which is the, the current president of Chile, was the only candidate in the 2017 election who didn't have a change in constitution as his election within his electoral plan. And out of a sudden, this whole electoral movement happened. And now we have a new constitution happening in Chile. And I'm wondering, why did this all happen? What, what, what was the reason for this new constitutional approval in Chile? I'll say that, I mean, the, the short answer could be the uh, October 2019, like the protest that happened last October. Uh, but uh, I will say that the long answer uh, goes back to the start of the Pinochet di dictatorship. So we have both things that are for sure related. Uh, but I think the, the idea of the constitution, of uh, creating a new constitution came to be uh, with these different protests that are that happened last October um, that were protesting against uh, the different inequalities that uh, Chile, the, the Chilean population um, is facing and these, uh, okay, wait, we can cut the word. And remember, so remember that, remember when Latin America was on fire um, in October, 2019. And I, I remember that it began, it began on Chile, but then soon it spread into many Latin American countries. Um, and I think the the main wave of protest was in Chile. And I think uh, the the mass of protests and the importance of these protests of October 2016 were definitely more impactful in Chile than in uh, any other region. And and mostly because of it had a, many, uh, a huge international impact, right? I think not only because of the the numbers of the people that were, that were there and they even had to, I think they had to evacuate Pineda from the capital. Um, and not only that, but you had depredation of, of public assets everywhere. Uh, and that happened even in the, uh, in the, the, the gathering that happened last week at, Ita the Plaza de Italia in Santiago. Um, that's, that's something that's recurrent in the history of Chile's depredation movements, uh, all throughout these protests. Um, but it was definitely, uh, a major, a major, uh, event that happened in early, uh, late 2019 and that changed everything, right? And just to bring back a bit of what you asked before, why did this happen? Why are we having this pub site? It all began really, as you guys said very well, um, with the process. Raquel brought it even back even further, which is correct, of course. But like, I feel the, the main thing that happened in October was that, uh, the Pinera administration decided to raise, uh, the price for public transport. And that's what initially caused the protests. And then after those protests got bigger and bigger, they started asking more questions. And one of them was, why do we have this constitution, which was written by uh, a, 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 a period 
of a brutal dictatorship uh, uh, in our country, as Raquel said very well um, before. And just taking on from what you said, Leo, as well, about how Pinheiro is the only candidate who did not uh, want any sort of constitutional reform, well, the only candidate in those elections who did not want to touch the constitution, really, he even reversed some changes because the previous... Uh, his predecessor, Michel Bachelet, who was the, the previous uh, president of Chile, had started a couple of, uh, I wouldn't say she wasn't going to rewrite the constitution or anything, but she was reforming certain aspects, some outdated aspects to the constitution. And as soon as Pineda took charge, he halted and stopped all of these reforms. And that is also what uh, caused many um, to, to take to the streets and protest during uh, October to halt, <laughs> to in a way make Pineda stop um stop his stoppage of of changing the constitution it's interesting to see how how um popular unrest and 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 popular action actually created um constitutional reform in chile right um and it's something that's unprecedented in the, the history of latin america i'd say because um for example in 2013 you had the protests in Brazil for the same reason for the increase in, in public transportation. And of course, just like in Chile, it had deeper criticism. It's just it wasn't just a criticism towards the increase in in in, uh, in in public transportation, but it was a criticism towards corruption and towards education investments and sanitation and the whole system. The whole system was corrupt and it was a criticism towards the whole thing. Um, but I think I think something that the Chilean um, protest movement in 2018 had in 2000 sorry in 2019 had that the Brazilians didn't have in 2013 was that they had a clear goal right they had a clear goal towards removing the constitution because the the old constitution was an impediment towards the development of Chile and I think that in that sense they were really successful in 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 conforming to their goals while the 2013 protests they were really mixed and they were really varied and. They didn't have any clear political goal and it ended up in an impeachment process of the president and not really in any long-standing reform such as the constitutional reform in chile and something evident in chile too is the popular participation um um throughout in 2019 uh, but throughout the year right so for example uh earlier this uh, early in october you had the international women's protest uh that gathered uh, more than a million people in Chile in uh, in the in the capital, and this this means that the Chilean population has been um, quite supportive of these popular appraisals and of these uh, 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 these pressures, these popular pressures exerted by the public. And I think these have been quite effective um, given the history of Chile, right? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I also just want to you touch on this very well, I think, bringing this this parallel to Brazil. And you can even bring it to Ecuador to, a, to an extent, because in Ecuador, what sparked the protest, if I remember correctly, was the increase in, in petrol prices, not exactly public transportation. But it, it is a it's a common thread in Latin America, how an increase in, in transportation as a whole. So in Ecuador, the case, the, the case of petrol and in, in Brazil and Chile, the calls being uh, public transports. Uh, increase in costs of that, uh, how this, this increase in transportation tends to lead to massive uh, public reproach, let's call it that way. Uh, the people tend to take to the streets and to protest any sort of um, anything that will make their transportation uh, uh, more expensive. And it's very important to, to, to highlight, I think, how if you make transportation more expensive, suddenly 
most things become more expensive. And that is why in Latin America, and I feel like in other parts of the world, but I'm more familiar with Latin America, of course, uh, it is it is such a common thread of how an increase in transportation costs make the people uh, take to the streets. And in the cases of Chile, uh, have a broader conversation about what needs to change in the country, not only uh, the price of transportation. Yeah, and I think it's really important to remember that Yes, as much as like the 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 main reason why these uh, protests that happened in that like last uh, last year were because of the the rise of um, the prices, but it's also like what it what that re represents. Like it's it's more about just transportation, but how that affects or that contributes to the gap of like the different inequality levels that exist in Chile, in Ecuador, in Brazil, and like all the different countries in Latin America. So I think this is just one example of where you can see that by increasing the price of uh, a product or a service, then there's the, like this exposes all the different inequalities that exist. Cause it's for sure, it's like people are uh, like less able to pay for those prices um, and what it actually entails to not be able to go somewhere just like what it actually entails not only for the economy but also for the other social and uh, political factors that um these uh entails yeah and and definitely the 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 public support that this created um is um generated generated a positive outcome and that's the creation of a new constitution and it's going to be voted in april 2021 with 155 citizens divided equally between men and women and it's interesting that it's not going to be uh created by professional by politicians that are currently elected but by new citizens that are going to be elected specifically for the purpose of the new constitution and then it's going to take nine months to create it and then there's going to be another mandatory plebiscite to confirm it so i think there there was this whole process that was quite democratic in the creation of a new constitution right because it's 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 really a break from the old patterns from the old regime to an attempt to create something completely new let's see what comes out of this new constitution, right? Because we can expect uh, a lot of very old trends in Latin America coming from this new constitution. But again, let's see. And I read in the El, pa in, uh, in El Pais an article that said that this new constitution was a break with the past, was a break with the, uh, Latin America's Cold War past. And I wanted to try to understand that. And maybe we could go back to the roots of the constitution. Why is this constitution really a break with the Cold War past in Latin America? does it uh is it does it have to do just with pinochet or with a uh, greater context no i think you can bring it back even even before pinochet really i think it starts actually before pinochet it starts with the coup um most people don't know this actually but the first uh leftist leader so truly leftist to be uh, elected democratically in the western okay that's not western hemisphere but in latin america i'm sure of it was salvador Allende in Chile. He he won not by a majority, but of a, but he did have um, most votes in that election. There was no second round of voting, so he did won, win the election with around 34% of the vote. Um, but as as we all know, Leo knows probably even better than I do. He didn't last long, and he suffered a a very bloody coup by Pinochet, and that's what led uh, to to the constitution that is going to be repealed next year. 
So yeah, so he, so Allende was elected in 1970, and then in the infamous now September 11th, 1973, he was deposed by a coup that was supported by U.S.'s Nixon and Kissinger, and that instar and established a 17-year dictatorship in in Chile, headed by Augusto Pinochet. And then he passed the new constitution in 1980, and it was an interesting constitution because. He he. It was created with a few law professors and a few sympathizers of the coup, so it wasn't democratic at all. And the expectation of the creation of this institution was that, of uh, this constitution was that the the junta was expecting uh, an orderly return to democracy, so that it just like the military dictatorship in, in started in Brazil in 1964, it expected a return to democracy. It was just this. Uh, and that's why the whole article was talking about breaking with the Cold War past was that uh, the Chilean constitution in 1980 was created to block democratic institutions. It was created to block the threat of communism created by the Cold War and, and represented by Allende. And so the 1980 institution was uh, was created by sympathizers of the coup in order to inst install a, a authoritarian regime in uh, in Chile. And it's interesting to note that it had many it had many uh, it had many authoritarian takes to it that were eventually reformed, but taken into the democracy dem dem democratic institutions by Chile later on. So, so for example, the armed forces were get, were considered guarantors of the constitution, and uh, it had a fortified executive branch. It had judiciary independence, and despite uh, being authoritarian, uh, it depended on regular election elections. But it also had these non-elected senators and a requirement for supermajority that was really important. So the the military government was afraid of majorities in a democracy, especially because of Allende. So they created the supermajority requirements to change any constitutional amendments, and that made it impossible to change the to change the constitution. And that's why it was really hard to get rid of many, many factors within the constitution later on, um, even throughout the democratic regime uh, in Chile. It had it had many authoritarian principles embedded in it, but one I, one thing that I really wanted to talk about was the neoliberal aspect of it. What made this constitution neoliberal in a sense? Um, and I wonder what was what was uh, Pinochet's uh, role in creating this this constitution for uh, towards generating a neoliberal government in Chile? Yeah, I, I think that. Here we can look at how look at the people that helped Pinochet draft the, the new constitution, uh, where these ideas and philosophies were coming from, especially from the from the United States. Um, what type of uh, I, I will say maybe like some of the examples that we can look at is like the uh, privatization of different public sectors, including health, uh, pensions, something that one of the things that um, came to be part of the, the protests that happened last last year. Also different uh, points and ideas that they have about the education system. Um, so I think it's, so some of the things we can look at is like how uh, the, 98, the 1980 constitution um, made this process of uh, looking into the private sector more than the public sector and how that benefited specific groups um, of the Chilean society uh, back in 1980s, 
and how that has affected um, and has contributed to uh, this inequality that has been part of Chile since since then. Yeah, okay, no, I totally agree. And um, this thing that Leo said about the constitution being being extremely neoliberal can't be further from from it, it's exactly that. It was it was extremely extremely in this Cold War context of banishing the left, of entrenching property rights, and basically turning Chile into, uh, I don't want to say a colony, but into a, a, a almost a puppet of the United States and of this capitalist system. It was uh, another, inter it was an, one of the ways in which the U.S. found to uh, wave their big stick across Latin America and make all the nations in the continent be completely uh, dependent and subjugated uh, towards Washington. Yeah, it had this principle of subsidiarity, this idea that the state can only intervene in the economy unless the private sector is unable to do so. So it so it favored the institution of private of, of, of private business and private investment in several branches within the economy, especially in education and health. And that had uh, negative impacts, as Raquel was saying, in the educational and the health aspects of the Chilean population up until the beginning of the 20, 21st century. And that was one of the causes for the for the 2019 protests a lot uh, as well. Uh, the rising inequality caused by the neoliberal constitution that was instituted in 1980 by Pinochet and that had, conse that con had consequences up until nowadays um, because of exactly its neoliberal entrenchments. And I think it's interesting to see that uh, this that Pinochet was removed from power. And then in 1988, there was this plebiscite and that this plebiscite, and that's why I said no. It was this uh, plebiscite that voted yes or no to extend Pinochet's presidency for another eight years. And then in the end, the no voted one. And there's this really famous movie by Gael Garcia Bernal called No, uh, in which Gael Garcia Bernal interprets this, uh, this publicity agent's that creates the whole advertisement campaign for the No campaign. And it was just a really interesting movie that I definitely recommend everyone watching. Um, and it's interesting to see that despite the plebiscite, there was the constitution remained the same. And you had a series of democratically elected presidents that, that were still elected within this extremely authoritarian and neoliberal constitution. And, and it's interesting to see that in this movement from 1988 onwards, there were some movements and some changes and amendments to the constitution. So for example, the, the Supreme Court was reformed and they eliminated the death penalty in 1988, which was important too. That was that was one of the prime elements of the di dictatorship that, were, that was fortunately removed in the democracy. And another interesting aspect in the constitution was that in 2005, they finally removed the unelected senators. So up until 2005, Chile had undemocratically unelect, un unelected, uh, undemocratic uh, unelected senators in their parliaments. And they also had the, the armed forces not controlled by the presidents. And that was something that was also institution, instituted in 2005. So it's interesting to see how, uh, the, how the constitution uh, endured all throughout these years. And, then, and I wonder why, why did the constitution endure for this long? Is it just because of the patterns of how the elites worked in, in Chile or, um, or was it an inability of the left, for example, to organize itself? 
I'll say that maybe it's just a, a mix of everything, of, of both options and how the, there was no political commitment to work together towards changing the constitution. Um, here, I think it's important as well to acknowledge that there were some reforms, but none of them were fully into like changing the, like drafting a new constitution itself. So I, I guess that one of the things we can look at is this lack of uh, political commitment to creating something new. And that I think like at least that the left has a lot to do to, I, I will say maybe like the the lack of organization from the left uh, might be one of the of the main causes to this. And also like where's like where, where's the where was the all the uh, political groups of the center where were they when all these inequalities were being exposed at uh, deeper levels. Right, and I also think that to answer your question, Leo, that the establishment is usually very strong. And it was definitely in the case of Chile. It took something very big from the part of the population itself to get this change, because the political parties inside the parliament, even the ones that opposed the constitution and wanted a constitutional reform, couldn't get it done. So, the establishment in Chile seems to be extremely strong. And again, it took a grassroots movement coming from the 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 population itself that took to the streets that brought this change. It didn't come from the parliament, it come it came from the people. Yeah, definitely. And it came from it came from an old issue of a problem of uh, of low participation in elections. I think that I think Chile was undergoing a, a problem that I think and I'm relating a lot to Brazil because Brazil had similar unrests and this idea that people were getting tired of the political establishments, and this was creating a reduction in the participation of elections. It went from 87% in 1989 to 50% in 2017. So you had this whole new generation of people uh, not voting and not feeling interested in, in, in participating. And it was exactly this new generation of people that have been um, put that has been the, the strong um, impelling force in these 2019 protests. The people that haven't voted yet or didn't vote in the 1988 constitution, um, uh, the 1988 uh, plebiscite, they're the ones that are actually informing change in Chile, which is actually really, really exciting, right? To see how the youth has been moving a lot of of pieces in this chessboard in the political chessboard of of chile and it's important to see for example the role of artists um in favor of the apuebo movements i wanted to to highlight how 329 monument monuments were were the were aim of protests so either they were beheaded or they were graffitied or destroyed and that was an attempt to to show how the history of colonization, the history of enduring authoritarianism um, in Chile was was to be gone, was to be rid of and destroyed. And there is, uh, again, a resurgence of, of music uh, talking about Chile and talking about the Chilean problems, uh, just like Vito Jara used to do uh, in the dictatorship times uh, with artists like Chile and Puerta Voz. Um, a really famous song that got really that got popular during the protests was one called El Baile de los Que Sobren, 
um, by Los Prisioneros. It's it got it got really popular among them. And I think uh, another another important part is is talking about films and talking about artists. And again, the movie No that I talked about was is really interesting to understand uh, the whole plebiscite that happened in 1988. And another film that I'd recommend is this movie called Chicago Boys. Um, that is a documentary that asks and talks about uh, the whole Chicago boy inf inf influence and new liberal influence in Chile uh, throughout the Pinochet dictatorship. Um, I wanted to relate it to uh, LAS 301 too. It's also interesting to always talk about coloniality and talk about what is being talked in Latin American studies. And one of the books that's that's read in Latin, LAS 301 is My Tender Matador by Pedro Lemembel. And it's a really interesting book of uh, that depicts this trans woman uh, living in the dictatorship of Pinochet and she falls in love with a revolutionary. Um, and it's a really interesting story. It's a really, really moving story uh, that can relate, that can help us relate somehow to these characters that, uh, that cohabit, that, that existed all throughout the, dictator, the dictatorship of Pinochet. I'm wondering now that this new constitution is coming up uh, and that there, there's this new wave of change in Chile, I wonder what is actually going to happen? Do you think that this new constitution is going to bring about any considerable change? Is it going to be this kind of constitutional movements like happened in Ecuador in 2005 and in Bolivia? Or is it just going to be another uh, centralist democratic kind of uh liberal constitution like we have in other Latin American countries? That's a, a great question. Um, I was reading an article that was talking about what like does the the actual constitution gonna do? Like is, is that gonna be like what uh, the Chilean population was looking for to to change everything? And I think the answer is no because I think as much as you can have a great constitution that is inclusive and that like the way it's written, it's like has like where there's enough room to to change things, uh, and be flexible with like the different uh, situations and like circumstances that Chile is gonna face in the future. But I think we need more than just a constitution. Uh, I think that's the first step, the, the first step that uh, Chile needs, and they need to work towards. Uh, they need to work together towards like creating this new constitution. Um, that will enable them to do different things, to change the reality of many citizens that are living under really hard circumstances because of all the consequences of the, the dictatorship, but also of the different economic crises, even like the, the, the different um, consequences of the pandemic itself. But I would say that it's more than just the constitution. And here, I think that a social change is needed to achieve and make these changes. Uh, I think the, the constitution will create new possibilities, um, but we need to go beyond just drafting a new constitution. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is that the, the new constitution is gonna, it's only gonna be implemented in, in two years from now. So there are gonna be two years where there's, we're gonna be in like this in-between of what are we doing? Where are we supposed to go to towards? And also remembering that the next elections are also coming up in 2022. So the new president, like how, uh, what's their 
what's going to be their responsibilities and the other uh, elected officials like they don't even know um, like they're going to be elected before the new constitution comes into play so there, there are different factors uh, but I would just like to, to summarize my point I think that the constitution is a great step but it should not be the only one Yeah, Leo, uh, to answer your question about will it be successful or will we have only another liberal uh, constitution in the country, I, I think it depends on, on mainly on who's elected. Um, so we're going to have, as you said, a, a constitutional assembly that's going to be elected to draft this constitution. Again, draft because it has to be approved by the population enough subs a subsequent website to happen, I think, late last year, next year, I mean. But it really depends on who's elected. So if we have a lot of these old people that are part of the political system, part of the establishment and have been for the last 10 years, if most of them are elected, then we're going to have probably a very similar liberal, maybe even conservative uh, constitution. Uh, whereas if we have some young uh, people that you were talking about before, some young people who are uh, interested in the political process and who want to bring by real change to their country, we might see something come out that is very interesting, such as the one we have in Bolivia, which changed Bolivia uh, to a plurinational state. Um, so while, yes, there is potential for this to be something that is completely revolutionary and groundbreaking for the country and for Latin America as a whole, really, um, there is also maybe an equal chance of it being conservative, liberal, and not much of a change. So um, I think this club site, I just want to say one, this is, has been on my mind a lot, and I think that this club site is is one more part of the this thread that I've been I've been noticing in Latin America of how we are continuously rejecting these neoliberal candidates and political parties and we're seeing um, the left as Leo said before this maybe not the left but a center left um, ideology maybe social democratic have more of a foothold in the in the countries of the continent um, by by being mostly brought by uh, young people. So just to put that into a bit of perspective, in Mexico in 2018, we had Andrés Manuel López Obrador win the election, and he's a very leftist leader. Um, in Argentina in 2019, we saw Mauricio Macri lose uh, to Alberto Fernández, who is uh, a Peronist, a Kirchnerista uh, from the left, whereas Mauricio Macri was the incumbent president at the time. He was uh, a conservative uh, right-wing leader. In 2019 in Uruguay, nearly the broad front, the Frente Amplia, uh, retained, retained their uh, presidency but lost with under 50,000 votes uh, to the, the candidate from the right. So that was, uh, well, I guess a break in which we're trying to, to argue here. But again, the Bolivian elections happened two weeks ago and the left uh, came back to charge and came, won back the presidency after uh, losing it in the coup last year. And now uh, this subset in Chile is once again a victory of, of these more social democrat progressive forces. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that this is one more piece of the puzzle of how uh, these progressive uh, forces and parties are slowly uh, returning to the front uh, row of Latin American politics. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I definitely see this trend too, and I hope that it increases. I hopefully, I hope that the youth and the progressive forces are continually as strong as it as they are nowadays. Um, but for now, I'd like to close this episode. Thank you very much um, for coming. And as always, El Cafecito is available on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and I'll see you everyone next week. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.